Welcome back, Woodland Hills. Man, you guys look good. You look weird with all that mask on and stuff. It's, we're still in the weirdness reality, but oh, it's, it's so good to, to be back. Um, it's, it's been like 14 months of talking to an empty room, and that just is not as fun. It's more fun when you have energy in the place and people in the place, and so you look beautiful. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's been 14 months, um, and it's been a, a long 14 months. Would you agree with that? It's been a long, grueling 14 months. It's been a long, grueling, torturous, painful 14 months. It's been a, <laughs> it could go on. Ah. Hey, uh, today's message is, oh, by, if you're visiting for the first time, I probably, that's probably not happening, but if you are, my name's Greg. I'm a teaching pastor here. It's good to have all you folks uh, joining online, live streaming, and, and uh, we're all in this together. Yeah, it's, uh, so this is going to be one of those two-for-one messages. I, I did this last week, too. You're going to get two messages for the price of one. The first one is just going to kind of be about coming together again and, and kind of a State of the Union report on where Woodland Hills is at right now. And then I want to turn to this passage in Matthew that we've been looking at, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, which is all about sex, imagination, and things like that. Um, so this last 14 months, you know, on top of the... Uh, COVID lockdown and top of the isolation, which has been tough on everybody. On top of that, uh, with the social unrest, racial unrest, political unrest, all this upheaval that's going on here. I mean, that, that already makes it for a, you know, a once in a century bad year. Uh, but on top of that, there's just a lot of other stuff. And I know some of you have had the same thing where like, when it rains, it pours. It's like a pylon, a group tackle. Life just is coming at you. And for Shelly and I, uh, the last 14 months have been the toughest 14 months of our life. It's just been... Um, part of it is that we both had back issues and, and uh, doing everything you can do to take care of that, take your physical therapy and injections. And some of you have sent me some solutions that I'm, I'm going to maybe be trying on before I, if this doesn't work. That's what you do when you've got kind of a painful thing. You just keep on trying different things, see what it's going to take. But it, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a time of lament. And, and we started off the season kind of like that. By, by talking about lament, and I will tell you that I don't think I even knew the meaning of the word lament till this last year. Uh, I had never, uh, it never was a part of my being, and, and now it is. It's, uh, it's been a, a season of lament. But as, as um, Dion said, it, 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 God's always good. God's always there. God's always faithful. It tells us in Romans 8.28 that in all things, this, this passage has just meant the world to me this last year. Uh, I've been hanging on to this one. In all things, God is at work, working together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Amen? In all things. Uh, he doesn't ordain things or cause those things to happen to bring good out of them. But given that it's a fallen world and given that crap is going to happen, God's going to find a good use for it. And he does that with everybody, but it's only those who, who understand that they're called and who have accepted that. Only those folks are the ones who are looking for it and therefore cooperating with God to bring about that good. Um, so it's not like God has a special class that he's working with. God's everywhere working for the, for the, for the better. But our, our responsibility is to be looking for that, looking for opportunities for God to take good, nasty stuff and bring good out of it. However dark it is, however painful it is, however confusing it might be, however aggravating and frustrating it might be, uh, be looking for opportunities because God's at work in that to bring good out of it. One of the things that I found was just in the last year, I, I just... My body's been much more fragile than it used to be because of the back issues. So you got to be real careful. You can't turn. You got to be lift, lifting up the dog off the floor the wrong way can just send you, you know, into a whole lot of pain. And and something about the fragility of that body. I 
I never knew until I lost it how much of my own self-confidence was wrapped up in my physicality. Like, I, I have lived my life where phys- I, if I wanted to lift something up, I, f- I figured I could do it. I didn't have to worry about that. I could just do it. I didn't have to think about it. Now that I'm much more frail and I have to think about everything, you, you come to realize that, that you're not as independent as you thought. You come to really realize how much you need other people, and that's a good thing. You have to become much more patient because you can't do anything fast the way you used to. Uh, and so God's using it to, to bring that out. Uh, something about uh, being in pain, it, it, allow, it, it increases your empathy uh, towards others who are in pain. And that's, that's always a good thing. I think this last year has, has uh, something about this, the pain thing has, has, has made me more honest with myself. I, I, I don't know if you ever find this, but it's like, you ever get brutally honest with yourself and look, you know, it's like the mirror to my internal mirror, I, 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 it's, 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 it's cleaned off. I, I see myself more clearly than I used to. So I'm much more aware of my own brokenness. Something something about the brokenness of my body, it gets you in touch with the brokenness of your spirit. And I'm aware of just how much I'm in need of grace, how far I am from God's ideal, how I stand by the mercy of God. I, I, I feel that more acutely than I ever have. And that's a good thing. So it's been a difficult season. But in the midst of it, God is growing some things in me that I don't know if it would have been grown any other way. Uh, I wouldn't have chosen this. I don't like it at all. But I, I am I'm glad that there's an upside to this. And I see how it is. Uh, it, it's working in me. It's, it's, it's bringing patience in me. It's developing character. The fruit of the Spirit. So praise God for that. I see the same thing with Woodland Hills Church, you guys. d was right. Uh, during this season, uh, we've grown in a number of ways. And, and I'll tell you, I, when we first went into this season, when I first heard about this lockdown idea, I, I, I thought we were going to, I thought it was going to be a disaster, to be honest with you. I, 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 how, how do you do this? I thought our, our finances would probably tank, and then we'd have to let go of staff and all those other kind of things. Um, and I know I have so little faith. I'm sorry. Uh, faith doesn't come easy for me. I've told you that. You know that. I, I would rather be surprised than disappointed. So I expect the worst and then I'm happy when it doesn't turn out that way. So I'm very happy right now because it hasn't turned out that way. It's been, the, the craziest thing about this crazy, crazy, insane year that we've had is that in the midst of this, this, this uh, dark time and all the, all the craziness going on, we, we've been growing. Um, we've grown numerically in terms of the number of people that are, are, are tuning in by a lot. Financially, we've never been stronger. We've had it brought on like something like 500 new givers, you know, people supporting the church, and that shows that they've got more buy-in. Uh, they, they believe in the vision of this, this, this place, and, and, and so we're growing like that. It's just totally not expected. I think we're growing spiritually. Now, I, I can't say that for everybody. Maybe you totally backslid this last year. Uh, I can't speak for you personally, but as a church, I just feel like um, there's a spiritual congruity that we have, a depth of which we haven't had before. I feel like uh, we've got a clear vision of, 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 of who we're called to be and the uniqueness of who we're called to be. And I'm, I'm loving that. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, this, this last year, as, as dark as it is, as painful, as aggravating as it's been, uh, the brightest spot for me has been Woodland Hills Church, just seeing what God is doing through Woodland Hills. Even though we're not gathering together, just seeing how God is at work, it's been so encouraging. I, I felt a kind of unique anointing on the messages that... that uh, I feel like God's giving me insight into things I hadn't seen before. There's just a lot of great things happening. One of the things that, that, that one of the most positive things that came out of this time when we weren't able to gather together um, is that the, the gap between those who attend, the regular attenders, and those who podcast, our pod rishoners, we call them, uh, that's gone. Uh, you know, up until now, we, we just kind of had this 
growing online presence, but it was always kind of secondary. You know, we were just mainly the people who gathered together and they get to listen in. But what this new season did uh, is it, it, it just eradicated that distinction because we all became parishioners. And um, uh, that just had some beautiful ramifications. It, it, it has helped us to realize that the parishioners are us and we are the parishioners. That, that there doesn't need to be this, this, this distinction and, and, and start living into this. Uh, and when, so we're looking at ways that we can uh, grow that even further, ways that we can develop the connection with parishioners and, and uh, um, have them more part of this church, even if looking at having people become members, even if they live in Germany or China or Russia, have being members of this congregation. We don't know what that all is going to look like, but we know that we're going in this direction. And this is, I think, going to be our new normal. I don't think we're going to come back from this. In some ways, we'll return to the old normal, but in a lot of ways, it's going to be a new normal here. Um, I think Woodland Hills is forever now going to be a hybrid church. You know, we have hybrid schools where uh, the class opens up and, and, and you know, kids can go back to school. But if the parents or the child still has hesitations, COVID-related concerns, they're allowed to, to, to zoom in or use whatever you know, social media platform the school has. But they're allowed to participate from a distance. Um, I actually taught a class like that. And um, I think that this is, Woodland Hills will be forever now a, a hybrid church. There are groups, support groups, that during this time they would meet on Zoom and, and they picked up people uh, along the way who weren't part of Woodland Hills. Uh, maybe they're not even part of Minnesota, they come from uh, outside the state or even outside the country. And so these groups, as they're coming back together, they don't want to lose these folks, these friends that they've met uh, in Germany or China or wherever. And, and, and so they're going to keep on having them zoom in. Even when they get together, those who can be here physically will be here, but those who need to zoom in will be zooming in. Um, so a number of our groups, our refuge groups, will be, will be hybrid. Um, some things are not going to change. We, but as a board, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't know why we didn't think of this earlier, but... Why get up at 6 in the morning to meet at Caribou? We're aboard. This is where our board always met. Caribou is 6 in the morning. When you can Zoom at a time when it's convenient for everybody, like we have been doing for the last 14 months. Wednesdays, we have our 5 o'clock Zoom. Don't have to get up early. So we just decided let's just do board meetings on Zoom from now on. Forget that 6 o'clock in the morning thing. Some things have just changed permanently. Gathering groups and classes, they'll, they'll be hybrid. We're even looking at ways that, to make this service more hybrid. Um, and, and uh, ways that people who are parishioners can participate more in, in this service. Uh, I, I, this is, I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't know what technology it takes. But, but like uh, you watch funny stone videos or the NBA and, and the people who are zooming in, you can see their faces, right? And you can hear them. And there's interaction there. What would it be like if we had like a big screen over there and a big screen over there and all the faces of the parishioners were there? I think that'd be great. And have some people from China or wherever from around the world. Of course, they'd have to be at probably two in the morning. But, you know, maybe they'd be willing to do it. Anyways, I, I just think that, that we're looking at ways of making it more, more hybrid. Uh, why do we always have to have the speakers travel all the way over here in order to talk to us. We could get Tara Beth or Bruxy or whoever we want just to zoom in and, 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 and deliver a message that way. So we're looking at that. Uh, just different ways of having uh, more audience participation. And because of that, um, this service will look a little different. Whatever service we live stream is going to look a little different. Uh, here's the thing. There's 10 to 20 or more times as many people watching on screen than there are in the, in the house, especially now that we have a shaved down house. And uh, given that, it means the bulk of the audience is on the screen, so it makes sense then to pay attention to the screen, to, to the camera. 
Uh, and, and, uh, and I have to remember to look at the camera, to be included in that. I've had a year of practice, so I should be pretty good at this. In fact, I might forget to look anywhere else, though. Mary says no. Uh, so here's the thing. So we have to pay attention to the camera, and that takes a little bit of extra coordination. Sometimes, you know, a person might have to stand over here while they're setting up stuff over here in the camera. And so Mary is the director. Mary, stand up, and everyone give a hand for Mary, because she is air director. And so... If you see pens flying, like that pen over there, it's because Mary's trying to get my attention. In this case, she was saying, take off your mask, because last service, I couldn't take it off. And so, uh, yeah, so if you see her, she's been abusing me for the last 14 months, guys. You're here to save me. I feel safe. This woman, protect me. Anyways, so it, it will look a little bit like a production, and, and it will take some getting used to, but I encourage you to, to, to get over that. Um, it's all part of the new normal. Here's another good that came out of this, this season that we're in. Uh, we've always taught that the church is not a building. The church isn't a place you go, right? We've always taught that we are the church. The church is a calling that we're, we're all called to be. And we, we've always taught in what's called the priesthood of all believers, that we're all called to be ministers. We're all ambassadors of the kingdom. We all have to take responsibility for manifesting the character of God to those who are around us. We're the body of Christ, and we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're all called to do that. Um, it's not a place you go. The church is something that, that, that you are. Um, well, well here, 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 here's the thing. Since we couldn't get together for the last 14 months, it, I feel like at least some folks have gotten a lot better at being in the church. Uh, there are groups of people that are not coming back to our weekend service. And it's not because they have reservations about COVID. That's very understandable. Uh, and it's not because they live too far away. Uh, it's just inconvenient. That's not the case. They're not coming back to the weekend service because during this last 14 months, um, they started inviting neighbors over to watch the service with them. And, and these are folks who, who and yeah, isn't that beautiful? These are folks who, they're, they're not ready to go to church. They don't particularly like the idea of going to church, but uh, they, like to, they like participating and discussing it uh, I, I, on television. And I just think this is brilliant. I, I think this is brilliant. Here's the thing. I, I love preaching to a, a packed house. Uh, there's an energy there that is just a lot of fun. And um, I, 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 I love that. There, nothing can replace this. I mean, you felt this this morning. It's three-dimensional. We get to experience it. It's, I, you can't, I, I can't, I cannot get into worship on Zoom the way I can when there's other people around. I, I just, it's just, it's just weird. It's weird. It was, we took a hit on that. But I love, so I love preaching to a, to a packed house, the energy and all that. And that's what made the, this, this COVID time so hard. I had to just imagine in my head, preaching to an empty, it, that, that took a lot of getting used to. So I had to like, pretend in my head that everyone's there, I can hear the amens, and I had to kind of fill in the blanks with my imagination. Uh, but, but, but I love preaching to a big crowd, but I, if given the choice between pre preaching to a full house with all that energy and all that on the one hand, and a choice of, of, of preaching to three people, like I've been doing the last 14 months, but all the other folks aren't here because they're in their houses and they're watching the sermon with their neighbors. Given the choice between those two, which do you think I'd choose? i choose the second in a heartbeat. Because see, in the second one, we're being in the church. I mean, that's just a great way to grow the church. It's a brilliant idea in this increasingly secular culture in which we find ourselves, this, this post-Christian culture in which we find ourselves. Increasingly, there are people who don't want to step anywhere near a church. It's, it's a non-starter. You'd say the word church and it's a complete turnoff. So inviting folks to go to church is, uh, is, is, is a hard sell for some. But if you're a good neighbor and, and you've been nice and you're not a weirdo and you've been, you know, just showing folks that you're normal and friendly, and you invite them over to watch something on television and have a talk, well, they might say yes to that. 
And this isn't for everybody. Not everyone's called to do this. But consider that as a possibility. And, 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 and if you do that, uh, let us know about it because we want to support that. And what you do is what we are the church. Whatever you do, Woodland Hills does. And we want to come around that and we want to support that. Our pod parishioners have been doing this for years. Uh, there's sometimes in areas where there's not a church that they can go to. And, and, and so they just start inviting friends over and, and see where that evolves. And so and, and some of those evolve into, into, into communities. Um, but it, it's brilliant. So you might consider that. I don't know what the new normal is going to look like. I don't know, I don't know if we're ever going to get back to a full house kind of packed feel. I hope we do, but, you know, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we're being the church. We're being the church. We're uh, the the people that God calls us to be. It's never been about a yay moment on the weekend. It's fun. It's great. It's necessary. But our goal has never been to get as big a crowd as possible. Um, Our goal is to develop disciples. Uh, It's authenticity, not numbers. The Apostle Paul... Amen. The Apostle Paul, when he, whenever he's concerned about, pre, uh, he has to give an account on, on, on the judgment day of what he's done. Um, several times he talks like this. He, he says, I labor to present you all fully mature in the Lord. His concern is for their maturity, not for their numbers. Never once does he say, oh, I labored so that I could get as big a crowd as possible. That's not his bullseye. His bullseye is Christ-likeness, how mature are people. And so that's going to be our goal. We want to grow disciples. We want to be the authentic church. Uh, don't all know what that's going to look like, but um, see, the Spirit's moving because the culture's changing, because everything's in motion, everything is fluid, everything's up in the air. What well, gives the Spirit room to work? You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and it gives time for the Spirit to maybe cause us to notice how to do things differently. We get stuck in doing the sameness. Uh, now, now... Uh, uh, the new way of doing church is going to involve a lot of flexibility. Janice Rowling's our executive pastor. That's her favorite word these days. She's always, be flexible, be flexible. Got to schedules everything. Everything's fluid, so we got to be flexible. It's a time to be moving in the spirit, walking with the spirit, following the lead of the spirit. Uh, so the, I don't know what the new normal is all going to look like. This is great. This is a great new normal. Um, but I, I do know that the line between the, the parishioners and those who attend, that is forever gone. And I'll tell you this, I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I honestly have never felt better about us as a community than I do now. I just, I feel like we're in the right place. And I don't even know what the place is. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like, we, we, and I felt like this honestly throughout most of the last 14 months, like we're in a zone, we're in a pocket. Uh, and um, I don't know, it, it, it's, it's been a sucky year, but in a very, very sucky year, this has, for me, what, seeing what God's been doing at Wilderness Church has, has, has been the bright spot. It's just been one of the top bright spots in, in the year. And I needed some bright spots. I, I've just been loving it. I, I, I felt, you know, God's opened my eyes to things in the Word that I haven't seen before. Um, it's one of the few things in my life that are still working. And it's not just working. It is thriving, praise God, in a way that I never anticipated. So I feel very honored to be a part of this community. And I love where we're at. I love where we're at. I've never felt more full of faith. Uh, in, in terms of more optimistic about what God's going to do with Wilden Hills Church. I, I just am excited about our future. One more thing I want to say before I get to my message, and this is still kind of an updating thing, and you'll be hearing more about this in the, in, in the next uh, couple of weeks. But a real positive thing that happened throughout this whole COVID season was um, uh, our partnership with the Jesus Collective has really grown. Now, the Jesus Collective is... Um, it was originated with the, the Meeting House, and now there's a bunch of other churches participating in this. But it, it, it's, it's meant to function as sort of the resource hub of this movement that's going on around the globe. I just call it a kingdom movement. But all around the globe, 
we've discovered that there are people who have for years been uh, discovering this Jesus-looking God who is raising up a Jesus-looking people to change the world in a Jesus kind of way. That's the first way I could describe it. There's a tremendous amount of diversity in this movement, um, but it, it has this in common, this Jesus-looking God and the call to be a Jesus-looking people. And so over the last year, I and Paul Eddy and some others on our staff have been working with the Meeting House and others, putting this thing together. And it's just, it, it's, this is meant to resource this movement, uh, to help this movement become more uh, networked together, um, to, to raise up some leaders in this, this, this movement and, be, and some church planners in, in, in this movement. And um, uh, from where I'm sitting, I, I look at this movement and I think it's the most exciting thing on the planet, honestly. It, 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 there's this beautiful, beautiful movement that no one is, is, is trying to raise up. It's just it's happening and we're just trying to like say, well, how, how do we come around this and, and, and support this and, and make this happen? So you'll be hearing more about this in the future. Uh, we don't belong to a denomination, but we do belong to a movement. And we are developing str- stronger partnerships uh, with, with others, like, like-minded people and like-minded churches in the, this movement. We didn't even know this thing existed 15 years ago. Uh, it's, it it kind of found us. And uh, the, the, the movement that we've been going through over the last, you know, all through the 90s is something that we see is coming around all over the planet. So I feel really happy and excited about all the positive things. It's been a terrible year, terrible year. I wouldn't want to go through it again for my life. But man, God's bringing some good things out of it. Somebody say amen. 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 All right. All right. There's sermon number one. Here's sermon number two. I want to go back to this passage that uh, we've been looking at. This is my third swipe at this passage. Uh, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. And I'll tell you, I, I, I had planned on going in a different direction with this passage on this third time through, but um, uh, I felt like the Spirit just put a check in, the Spirit put a check in my spirit, and I realized I, I felt like I'm supposed to go in a different direction, building off of what I said last week. And if you haven't heard the first two messages on this passage, I encourage you to get those, because I answer a lot of questions in those uh, messages that I'm not going to answer here. So here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. As I shared last week, hell, here the word is Gehenna. It refers to the Valley of Gehom, which was outside of Jerusalem, as a place that was associated with all sorts of wickedness and, and evil and things like that. So that became, in the first century, a metaphor for hell. And it's just a way of saying, when you go down a road away from God, which is a road away from life and a road away from beauty and a road away from joy, well, the, the, the termination of that road is a garbage dump. It, it's, it, you end up, nothing works. You're not what God created you to be. And that's captured by this word hell. So as I shared last week, um, we in the West tend to really downplay the role of imagination. And that is terribly unfortunate. Uh, We tend to associate imagination with child's play, with make-believe. It's not real. And that's why we tend to go very lightly on the sins that we commit in our imagination, what we imagine. It's, it's kind of, well, it's not really real. It's sort of, fan- so it doesn't seem as serious. What we do in our head doesn't at all seem as serious as what we do with our body. Jesus here in this passage gives us a completely different perspective. And it's one that's kind of counterintuitive at first, but when you think about it, it makes total sense. 
Because Jesus is saying that what we do in our imagination, and that's what you do when you lust after somebody. You're imagining engaging in inappropriate activity uh, with this person who's not your spouse. What you do in your imagination, you are doing. It is a behavior. You can't make a distinction between what you do and what you imagine because your imagination is a doing. And so Jesus is telling us here that what we imagine is as real as what we do with our body. In fact, what we do with our body is simply an expression of what we're imagining. You have to imagine it before you actually do it. And uh, it's, it's to be taken just as seriously. So when Jesus says that you're committing adultery by looking at a person to lust after them, I don't think he's speaking hyperbolically there. Because see, you are breaking God's ideal. In the process of fantasizing about breaking God's ideal, you break God's ideal. You just did it. So you're engaging in that. And, and so he, 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 there's no distinctions in, in terms of sev severity. Now, most of us, we don't act out the things that we fantasize. And that's a good thing, because while they're, they're equal in God's eyes, and they're equally seriously, and they're both adulter adultery, well, that's the case. Acting it out has social ramifications that just thinking about it doesn't. No one knows that you're thinking about it. You act it out. Well, now, now, well, now you could damage a lot of people, a lot of things. And so there's much, it's much worse socially and spiritually and psychologically and emotionally and relationally. It's much worse to act on the, the, the imagination than to just have the imagination. But... The fact that you don't act on it, that means that you're smart, but it doesn't mean that you're more virtuous. Because see, when, 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 we, when we think about lustful things, um, we're, 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 that already reveals that that's what we really want to do. And the way you know that that's what you really want to do is because you just did it. So, so it's just practical consequences that keep you from actually acting out on it. And that, that is smart to do, congratulations, but you're not more virtuous. You're not closer to God because of that. You've broken God's ideal just as much as if you did act out on it. It's the same thing. And see, if that's true, if that's true, then we have to admit, we have to just come face to face that 98% of us are guilty of adultery. Uh, and perhaps hundreds of times, perhaps thousands of times. We've broken God's ideal. We broke that with the first lustful thought we ever had. Now, that's, that's different than temptation. I talked about this last week. Temptation is uh, you feel a pull. You could go there, but you say no to it. So don't feel guilty about being tempted. But when we give into it and when we indulge it, well, that's when we cross that line. And now we're engaging in the very sin that, that, that uh, uh, as, though, as though we were doing it with our body. I read that about 2% of people are virtually uh, sexless. They just don't have a very active libido. And, and, and so that's why I say 98% instead of 100%. Um, but don't go feeling righteous because that, this has not been your struggle. Or maybe it used to be a struggle, but as you get a little older, it's less of a struggle. Don't go feeling righteous about that. Um, have you ever imagined any other kind of sin? Because to imagine the sin is to commit the sin. And so let's just come clean with this and say that we're all guilty. We're all guilty. And when we take this seriously, well, I, I, just, I just find that it, it gives us a complete reframe. But when I take this seriously, and I really, I, it's, it's not, oh, it's as if Greg is an adulterer. No, I really am. When I take that seriously, well, now you can understand why the church, we are called to be a community of people who, who each one of us confesses that we are the worst of sinners. When you take this teaching seriously, you can see why that makes sense. You can, you can see why it makes sense that we're called to be a community of people who, uh, whatever fault we see in another person, we assume that it's a mere dust particle compared to the plank sticking out of our own eyes. Uh, we're called to be a community that, that we understand that we, being worst of sinners, we can never look down on anybody. If you're at the bottom, you can, you can't, you can only look up. 
We respect, but we never look down. We're called to be a community that doesn't stand in judgment over people. We're called to be a community, as I said last week, that we, we meet at the bottom, not at the top. We meet in our brokenness, not at some claim that we make about ourselves. And that distinguishes the church community from every other community that's out there, because almost every other community that's out there, uh, they meet at the top. They meet with some kind of a claim. We are the people who, and there's something that... That stands out. We are the people who identify with this, as opposed to those who don't identify with this. We're going to be a people that meet at the bottom, not at the top. We meet in our brokenness. See, if we take that seriously, it reframes everything. It reframes everything. Um, I, I, I see that more clearly now than I ever have before. Uh, it makes a world of difference. Take any question you want. It makes a world of difference whether you ask that from a position of being at top or a position of being at the bottom. Here's, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, it comes out of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And I'm going to read this here. It says, Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat, and sat down, and he began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, humiliation and shame, stand before all of them, uh, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now I'm wondering, where's the guy? But uh, he says, and making her stand before, teacher, this woman has been caught in very active adultery. Now, but in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And see, they're trying to trap him. Because uh, the law does say that, that uh, the punishment for adultery is stoning. Um, although there were some in the first century who were saying that seems kind of harsh. Uh, and we're trying to like, get around that. So it's, it's, it could be a divisive question. They're trying to catch him in this. What do you say? And they said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Oh, I wish John would tell us what he wrote. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Yeah, the law does say stoner. So absolutely. Who's righteous enough to do that? Who is without sin? And then Jesus straightened up and said, oh, I, 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 and when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. He straightened up again and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Next time they might actually stone you. Uh, watch out for that. Well, here's the thing. These guys bring this woman to Jesus, but they're bringing it from a superior position. They are the righteous ones, these men. Uh, maybe they've never committed adultery. And so they're in a position to judge her. They come at this, what does the law say about adultery? Let's struggle with this question. But they want to struggle it from a position of superiority. What does, what does the, the, the Bible say about adultery concerning her? And I don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground there, but I know the theology that was behind what he was saying. He was basically applying the passage that we read in Matthew to these guys. So you're all righteous, are you? Wow, good for you. Have you ever thought about committing adultery? Have you ever lusted after someone in your heart? Uh, I don't know what he wrote, but somehow it had the effect of waking them up and they realized that they are in no position of superior, or, superiority over this woman. They can't cast a stone. What Jesus is teaching here is that the only one who's ever justified judging another is someone who's sinless. And certainly the only one who's ever allowed to carry out capital punishment is sinless. If you think about it, none of the capital punishment crimes in the Old Testament could ever be carried out with this philosophy. Let the, let the one who's without sin 
pull the switch, throw the first stone, shoot the gun, whatever. No. So the law can be on the books, but no one can apply it because we're all sinners. Uh, that's the difference between talking about an issue at the top and talking at it at the bottom. You look at it from a those people kind of thing. We're up here, us. Let's talk about this issue of these people down here. Or do we all realize that we're in the same cesspool? Yeah, let's talk about how to clean up the cesspool, realizing that we're all part of it. This is one of the things, honestly, it has bothered me somewhat about so much of the discussion about LGBTQ plus, the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, it, 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 it often has the flavor of, of, of top, top thinking, top down thinking. What do we straight people think about, we straight Christians here think about those people? What position are we going to take on this? What do we insiders think about those outsiders? The whole question often, it, it presupposes that the brokenness of heterosexuals who have committed adultery hundreds if not thousands of times, somehow that's less broken than the folks who are in the LGBTQ community. Like, having heterosexual brokenness is a mere speck, but having non-heterosexual brokenness, well, that's a plank. If we learn anything from the gospel, it means we, we have to reverse that. All that's just that's top thinking. That's the kind of thinking of a community that's making a claim for itself. We are the people who, blah, blah, fill in the blank. It almost has the feel of, of are you good enough for us? Uh, do you meet our standards? Do you meet our criteria? Who do we think we are? See, the truth is, if we take this teaching seriously, that what you imagine, you actually do. Well, then, then, then we understand that we, 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 we can't make no claim. We don't have a bar to set. We can't sit on judgment over anybody. Uh, we're people who, we don't meet at the top, we meet at the bottom. And there are legitimate issues that need to be discussed. Legitimate questions about what does this passage mean? We've got to wrestle with the historical context. We've got to look at what science says. We're going to bring everything to bear on this. In fact, the staff and the board has been doing this. Before COVID hit, we'd had a time of intense studying this and discussing this and praying about this. We're wrestling with this. We're, we're doing like an Acts 15. That was the first council of the church where we come together, came together to say, how do we resolve this issue between Gentiles and Jews? Well, we're in the Acts 15 kind of a discerning mode and praying about this very intently. And there are legitimate questions that need to be, deal with, that need to be dealt with. But see, and at some point, uh, you know, in Acts 15, it says, when it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, to come up with this conclusion. Well, at some point, it will seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to broaden this conversation, and we'll have an Acts 15, kind of a whole church gathering. But before we get there, I think the all-important question is, how do we frame the question? I feel like I'm saying the ground rules here for, for how, how do we discuss difficult topics in the kingdom? How do we frame the question? Do we do it as, a, as, as a folks who are in a holy club or folks who belong to the broken club? Because the church is supposed to be the broken club. Do we come at it from a, a high position of superiority or from a low position of humility and brokenness and confession? If, if, if it's true that what we imagine we actually do, then we have no choice but to address this issue as uh, when we realize that we, we heterosexuals, have, we don't have a leg up on anybody. <laughs> we don't have a leg up on anybody. Uh, no, we're, we're broken. And I don't care if you're lesbian or gay or transgender, bisexual, Queer or whatever your other, other identification may be. You've got to know that you are not a less than. There's nothing less than with you. There's nothing second class about you. You're made in the image of God. You have unsurpassable worth. Jesus died for you and he loves you with an everlasting love. And yes, you're broken and we're all broken. But uh, he loves us in the brokenness. And so we love each other in the brokenness and that's where we start. And there's no place in the kingdom for the silly, stupid, pharisaical, holier-than-thou game of comparing brokenness. 
What flavor of brokenness is worse than what other flavor of brokenness? No, we're broken. That's enough said. Full stop. We're broken. We're in need of salvation. We're in need of God's love. We're in need of God's grace. We're in need of healing. And so let's do that together. It, it reframes everything. Let's address the issues. We'll address them at the bottom. And see, folks, this applies not just to the LGBTQ issue. It applies to every issue that you can think of. How, how, how do we talk about tough topics? Ethical topics. Political topics. In the body of Christ. Choose any topic you want. Abortion, immigration, police reform, inequality of our justice system. What do you know about poverty and homelessness? Climate change, kneeling at football games, voting integrity, vaccinations. Who's got the best economic policy? Uh, who's got the best uh, border policy? Who's got, how, what do we do about this gun epidemic? All these are really important questions. But the all-important question is, how do we frame the questions? Do we discuss these things as usually happens in the world, from, people come at this from a position of being above. My views are superior, and I care more than those who disagree with me. Most people start at the top. We're to be a people who start at the bottom. Uh, you know, you listen to the pundits on cable television, on the right and the left. And I, I make a practice of this. But especially in the evening, so much of their talk, it's just... It's top-down thinking. We are the righteous ones versus those loathsome people over there who don't care. They say they care, but they don't care. They do this to a bunch of hypocrites. They say this, but they do something totally different. They, you know, and, and it's just sliding both ways. And if you only watch one of the stations and you get used to that, and that's the station you like, you won't even notice that they're sliming because it's just part of what you do. I encourage us to always stay free from that. <laughs> don't get sucked into that. Um, that, that, that is, that's looking down, those stupid, deplorable people, those loathsomes there. Uh, on both sides, they do that. We are never allowed to do that. We are not allowed to do that because we're called to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Paul says, do everything that you do, do it in love. Love's about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself, right? Judgment's about taking worth from others to give it to yourself. The two antithetical things. So we're called to love and called, therefore, not to be in judgment. We're not allowed to be looking down on. We have to enter every discussion as, with awareness that we are the worst of sinners. And you can still have your opinions and you can still have them strong and, and, and you believe that you're right and that's fine. Of course, you believe you're right. Why? You wouldn't have the opinion if you didn't think it was right. But the question is, how do you share that? What do you do with that? What is the posture that you carry? And we are called to be a people who come under. We don't come over. We confess we are the worst of sinners. I had a person several years ago come up to me after service, and, and she was just visiting the church, but she said, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm gay, I'm in a gay relationship. I want to know, do you think I'm a sinner? And my response to her was, I'm pretty sure you are, but, but not nearly as much a sinner as mine, as I am. Uh, you've got a speck, but I got this, I got this plank. And, uh, and see, if, if, if life moved on and it was such that it was appropriate, she might invite me in on her life, and I might invite her in on my life, and we, then, then the discussion starts. But as we always teach around here, and we all need that. We all need to, to, to have people in our life who can speak into our life and help us live out this kingdom call. Those are the people who know you enough to know, to, to, to discern what God's up to and maybe what God wants to work on and what God wants to accommodate because we all, he accommodates all of us and he also works on things. But it takes a lot of living. It takes a lot of loving, a lot of walking together to have that kind of wisdom about a person. And if you're not on the inside of that, well then you're allowed one opinion. One opinion and that is that it's the only thing you know, and that is that, that this person with worth Jesus is dying for. And therefore, this person has unsurpassable worth. And your job as a disciple is to agree with that. Just agree with that. Full stop. I don't care what you see. I don't care what your opinions are. It doesn't matter. It's a mere dust particle compared to your plank. 
and, uh, and, and disagree with God. One opinion. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says to the Corinthians, I resolved, I determined not to know anything while I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Such an interesting passage. Um, I resolved, I intentionally, I want to be ignorant. I made myself ignorant of everything about you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what he's saying there is that when you know Jesus Christ crucified, when you understand the meaning of Jesus Christ crucified, that that's the revelation of God and what that accomplishes, well, then you know that, that the cross tells you all you need to know about God, all you need to know about yourself, and all you need to know about everyone else. And what it tells you about yourself and everyone else is, A, you're a sinner, so, so much so that it required the Son of God coming down and giving his life for you, so we were all in terrible shape. But secondly, even though I'm a sinner, I'm loved by God with an everlasting love, and so are you. Uh, we're, we're, we're loved with a perfect, unwavering love in the midst of this. That's all you know. And so be ignorant of everything else. Because you don't know anything else, really. And just bless the person. Agree with them. So you guys, faith is... is uh, Jesus emphasizes imagination so much. Puts so much emphasis, emphasis on it because, well, what we do in our imagination, we do. And we're as guilty as having done it because we did do it. Um, and that, that has to humble us. That has to humble us. So Jesus emphasizes faith for that reason, but he also emphasizes because... It's the essence of faith. Faith is about a vision. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's about what, something you imagine. And that's what moves us forward. Imagination is so important. Our culture has got it all wrong on this. Imagination is where we encounter God. It's where we, the Spirit meets us. And I could go on about that. But can we have a faith for us as a community? I, I just want to take this occasion. We come together again. Some of us, anyways. And, and uh, well, we're all together. Just some of us physically and some, some of us just spiritually. But... Um, can we have a vision of, of, of God working with us to create in us a community of people who, who really understand that, that uh, uh, we can only look up at people, we can never look down? Uh, can we be a community of people, get a vision for this, where we really understand that each one of us is to consider ourselves the worst of sinners. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15. We are the worst of sinners. And, and that's not about feeling bad about yourself or beating yourself up or I'm so loathsome. That's not going to help anything. No, but it's just about attaining this, this, this state of humility. Uh, we, we, we may make no claim for ourselves. We stand, all of us stand unequivocally by the mercy of God. Can we see ourselves as a community that really is learning to love together? I, I, when, when that first was proposed as sort of our slogan, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I thought learning to love together, boy, that's exciting. That sounds so, so boring. But now that, I, I think it's brilliant because it sums up everything. That's what we're to be doing, to learn to live in, in love, to love others like Christ loved us and gave his life, life for us. Can we be a community of people that are growing in our passion for Jesus and our passion for imitating Jesus and our passion for loving people with the love of Jesus, uh, a passion to reflect God's love to every person that we come in contact with? Can we be a community of people who uh, are able to have tough conversations, but we do it humbly and in love, not from the position of the top, but from the position of the bottom. Because, folks, that would be so, so beautiful. A community of people who really know that uh, if we're not invited in on someone's life, then the only thing we know about them is Jesus Christ crucified, and that is more than enough. And we agree with God about that. They have unsurpassable worth. In a world that is so polarized and so dark, so divisive, so toxic, can we stay free from that pollution by staying humble? Can you throw off the arrogance of the world and accept the humility of Jesus Christ? Because it reframes everything. It just reframes everything. And I think reframes it in a beautiful way. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, a uh, couple of uh, the announcements here. I will uh, see. Okay, so 
If uh, you are, have any need that could use prayer, we have, uh, you can do it one of two ways now. Uh, you can get online and go into a Zoom room and pray with someone that way. Or we also have prayer folks out in the gathering area, and they would love to pray with you. And I especially want to mention, if, you, if this is something you struggle with, and in our culture, it's something a lot of people struggle with because it's, we live in a pornographic culture. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it is. We use sex to sell everything and entertain and all the rest. So if that is a struggle of yours, I encourage you to, to, to not carry that alone, but to get prayer for that. And you might consider, men at least, might consider getting into a peer desire group uh, where guys struggle with this, work it through. We also have a group for, for women who have been betrayed, felt betrayed uh, by uh, men who have not had sexual discipline. So that, that's available for you. Uh, second thing is uh, we have our gathering groups that you can participate in throughout the week, and we encourage you to do that. Uh, let's keep getting together. Uh, we have the Muse cast on, at 4 o'clock on, on Tuesdays where they go a little deeper in the message. You might want to check out that. Um, don't forget you have to register for next weekend's service. And so I encourage you, if you're going to come to that, uh, register for that. And finally, the CDC says, tells us that we're not supposed to gather and socialize inside the building. So as we're dismissed, uh, could you carry the conversations outside uh, into the lawn area? And, uh, and, it, and when you're inside, they ask us to remind you to uh, keep socially distanced, all right? So, Father, we just thank you that we can gather together again here. We thank you, God, for all who are watching and participating through podcasts and all who are present here. Um, God, it's a new normal, and we're just going to flow in the Spirit until we kind of find, find our stride on this. But we're just thankful for the time that we have to be together. Thank you, God, for being a God who loves us and all of our fallenness, with all of our faults, all of our imperfections, all of our screw-ups. God, you love us with an everlasting love, and that's what that takes us where we're at and moves us to where you want us to be. Help us to be a community that is radically, scandalously loving. A, a community that maybe takes off the Pharisees the way Jesus did, but it attracts the tax collector and the prostitutes and the adulterers and the cheaters and the hypocrites and every other kind of variety of sinner that we are. We confess, God, that we are a broken people. And thank you for loving us in our brokenness. Help us to love each other in our brokenness. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love seeing you. You look great. Look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you guys online. Later.